Carve your name on hearts, not tombstones. Shannon Alder. Bending, not breaking. Season 2, episode 13. The Firebending Masters. Back to another episode of Bending Not Breaking. I'm Sunshine. And this is Ben. And as always, Max is slightly nudging and turning the dials to make us sound fantastic. And. 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 and say more. We, and. Okay. You, more ands? You want more ands? Or you want no, me I want to, you to go on. Move along. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. stop the vamping process and to just move I'm really excited. Through. Keep going. We have a special guest today. Uh, and Ben, I'm going to let you introduce them. Yeah. So we have Indira Eudofia here with us today. How are you today? I'm doing great. I'm really excited. Thanks for having me. Oh, we are incredibly excited to have you. So Indira, rather than me like spouting off all the things that you've done, uh, what are what are some things that you feel really good about in terms of your life? Like, what do you, what do you love? What are some things you love? What do you do? Uh, just tell me a little bit about you. All the things. Yeah, I'm hella black, hella queer, hella nerdy, and hella Nigerian. Um, those are basically yes. My... Those are all wonderful things. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I uh, graduated from Duke Divinity School with a Master's of Divinity um, and UNC School of Chap uh, School of Social Work with a Master's of Social Work in 2016. Um, did an extra year in trauma and queer theory in Boston. Theological uh, Boston University School of Theology, and I'm currently a PhD student at UNCG and ANT's Joint Social Work Program. Um, I identify as a queer womanist spiritual practitioner, mm -hmm. meaning that I work on multiple modalities of healing um, using traditions from um, ancestral wisdom and practices of religion, um, including conjure, hoodoo, um, and some African traditions like Ifa. Um, but I also just like love cartoons. They're like my jam, yes. the way that I decompress, um, the way that I come into being, actually the way that I celebrated getting to the PhD program and preparing my mind was to binge watch Avatar and The Legend of yes. Korra all the way through, um, oh. where I had big feelings. So yeah, I, I'm really excited because I had so many feelings and emotions that I just kind of spouted off on Twitter. Uh, Twitter and just in the text message with friends who did not really care as much. So I'm excited for people who actually love the show just as much as I do. Oh man, story of my life. I rattle off on Twitter and nobody ever <laughs> retweets me. It's a shame, but wow. Well, we kind of started this podcast just so we could rattle off things together and then it turns out that people started actually listening yeah. and now it's <laughs> it's kind of a thing, which is cool. Um, you know, And we're excited wonderful. for you to be here a part of that. Awesome. I I am so excited for you to be with us today because like we are two white men, right? Um yeah. and having you on this really is going to help us see through different perspectives and I'm just so grateful uh for for you joining us for for that reason but also for like <laughs> you are your resume is like everything that I want in my learning pursuits. <laughs> like I'm 
as people know, I'm a Duke Divinity student now. I'm in the dual degree program going to school of social work at UNC. I foresee myself potentially getting a doctorate in the future. Like, it's just all about like queer gender studies I'm interested in. Like, this is all the things that I, I'm, I, you're just like, I'm, you're like my idol. It's really great. <laughs> listen, uh, listen, it's a journey, but you know what? A beautiful thing that I think, you know, shows like the avatar teaches us, right? Is that when we go on different paths and when we encounter different people, we never know how much of their journeys will lead us into where we're supposed to be, which is why the why Avatar is so cool, right? It's about yeah. learning how different people can intersect or come before and come behind. And it's part of a larger legacy of the work that we're called to do. So yeah, mm. awesome. Oh, that's so great. It's genuinely the first time I've ever thought about like how many intertwining journeys there are throughout the the story arc from episode one to episode, you know, 64 or whatever it is. But the fact that it really is how many the impact that each individual's story arc kind of has on uh, one another, kind of the legacy they leave on each other as they go through their journey together. And this episode, we're looking at it through a lens of legacy. Um, mm -hmm. And so if we're talking about legacy, Indira, what is what is that? What does that mean? <laughs> So to not sound so esoteric, legacy simply is a connection to the greater narrative of one's being and becoming. So legacy mm. is simply a way for us to tap into a narrative or a story of the great story that is us being, if you are of a religious background, of being creation, of being human, of being connected to earth community space. That's what legacy, it asks you with the time that you have, what are the stories that people can connect and touch and interplay and continue to work. Um, and so when I think about legacy, I think a lot about the fact of interconnecting stories. I think about um, generations. And I even think about the stories that are left untold or unsaid or unknown, right? And the fact that legacies mm. can change and morph over time and space, depending on what you choose to make your work to become because we have not just one calling, but multiple callings that we're called to in our lives, right? And we see that in this episode about how do we reclaim different callings and different motivations to connect to a larger yeah. narrative or process. Which is such a better definition than the one that's like, if you look up the Google definition of legacy, it literally says an amount of money or property to leave to someone in a will. And <laughs> which is by comparison saying like, if you don't have money or property, then you don't have the ability to leave a legacy, which is just not the case. Um, right. And it's just, that seems just like such a, I don't, whoever decided that that was the definition. I have questions. I have questions. <laughs> um, and how yeah. that still hasn't been refined over years of, I don't know if it's Marion Webster, but you know. I don't love it. So I love yours a whole lot more because it's, <laughs> it's way more encompassing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, capitalism, man. It creeps into capitalism everyone's imagination. Patriarchy. And yeah. Like all the things. It's just white supremacy. It's all the all the worst, right? Um, okay. So I, I, I'm 
you also we we asked you what we wanted this lens to be, right? So you provided mm-hmm. us with this lens, and so we really kind of had this really interesting dynamic where we're like, okay, this is a new thing to look look through. I didn't anticipate this. So you also mentioned uh, to you threw out ancestral wisdom as mm-hmm. one of the things that that kind of uh, in tandem with legacy. Uh, how do those two things relate? What are you might have already talked about this? You might have already said it, but just to clarify yeah, what, i can what... i can expound <laughs> um so when i the reason why they're linked is twofold often when we think about what our stories are on this earth or what our work is called to do or what legacy and i put that in like really big heavy-handed quotes um is on earth we think about the individual work that we are doing on this earth right what are the papers that we're writing what are the jobs that we're doing what are the monuments that we're building what are the um what are the are the things that we personally tangibly are doing on this earth and we think about that as being our legacy right but if mm-hmm. we're but what we are taught is that this is an individual pursuit however our imagination is deeply, deeply colored by this idea of what I'd like to say capitalism, right? Which is about what you produce is what you can claim. However, what they don't name or what they don't discuss or what they don't disclose to people is that there is often things that go beyond us, things that we inherit, things that we carry, stories, traumas, histories, mechanisms, imaginations that we are born and birthed into and walk out in order to to align ourselves to a certain type of work that we're going to do. So the reason why we I wanted us to talk about ancestral wisdom and legacy is because they're often intertwined. We don't think about ancestors in a Western capitalist framework, right? We think that what we do is what we do and what happened in the past, what, what yeah. happens in the past. We pick ourselves up by our bootstraps, right? Right. But that whole bootstrap logic, you got those boots from somewhere. So exactly. even if you Love don't, that. even if you don't think you have like ancestral wisdom or ancestral power mechanism it's a bold-faced lie because capitalist is a perverted form of ancestral worship right it's it is mm, it is worshiping the ancestors of subjugation it is worshiping ancestors that believed in violence and degradation of black and indigenous bodies it it those ancestors those mechanisms i mean we just the world stopped because Hamilton was on Disney, Disney Plus, right? Yeah. Hamilton's financial system, that that ancestral wisdom about that is what drives Wall Street. Yeah. So yeah. you can't think about one's legacy or one's story without thinking about what are the things that we're inheriting? What are the powers and the tools that we're implying from our past that empower us to think about our work as being worthwhile, being valid, being meaningful, and playing into the greater narrative of what it means to be a part of the human experience. Yeah, I really so just want to listen think to you about talk one... for the next 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love conversation. <laughs> but you really can't think about one thing without thinking about the other. They're intrinsically linked. Absolutely. Like to even go back to the bootstraps comment, um, one of the narratives you see getting pushed around right now as Bezos is making 
billions uh, throughout the 200 this pandemic billion. is that, oh, but he started in a garage. And it's like, yeah, yeah, but also with like a $230,000 loan from his parents, right? So like, that's not the same thing as mm-hmm. like picking yourself up. The reality is we can't, do, we do nothing alone. We do nothing without the help of any other people. Like we all are contributing or trying to, or should be contributing to this larger society. And this idea of like, I did it by myself is not really one that's, yeah, authentic. we have to move from this concept of individual to more community and more social. Absolutely. Right. Because right. you even even if you quote unquote do it by yourself, you're doing it at the expense of the violation of another body, which means that you're mm. still doing it in community. You're just violating community in order to achieve Ooh. what you've achieved. Oh, yikes. Right. That's sad. Ugh. Okay. And so let's we're going to dive into this episode and talk about yes. all of all of this that we've are unpacking yeah and and with uh through moments of this episode but before we do that we're gonna have sunshine remind ben, us of what is, is your in the episode with an episode recap recap ben. sunshine ben, it is your turn i need you to do what you're supposed to do <laughs> and agree to do but which like, is 30 second recap of this episode and away you can we be kind go. to do it so zuka prepares to teach ang firebending but then he discovers like oh no he can't do that anymore so like oh god what is he gonna do so he and ang travel and they decide they're gonna go find the sun warriors which is like oh my god the, they're the people who like founded firebending but they learned it from the dragons but there aren't any dragons so like oh my goodness because sozin like seconds. destroys the dragons but like but like iroh killed a dragon did he did he not i don't know and then they discover the sun warriors exist like traps everywhere and then they like find an egg egg Trophy? I don't know what it is. Is it a real life? Anyway, gap, two, and then they go meet one. Ryan and Shaw, and they find firebending. That was, was a, impressive. <laughs> Thank you. That's so kind. <laughs> it's always a big jump from like middle of the episode, and then they they win. They, they solve all the problems. I, there's too much in it. There's so much that goes they down. They found an egg, and then firebending. <laughs> <laughs> and the end <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. that's the end that was it nothing else to discuss <laughs> All right. um, i didn't even mention the dancing dragon they didn't even get to dance in my recap that's how yeah there's the, all the dancing isn't dancing joyful yes uh, yes um, all right we so, can talk about dancing when we talk about ancestors absolutely um and so let's jump in what are moments in this episode when you're thinking through legacy that it just pops out at you and you say this moment zuko's first smoke (laughs) um so you know when we kind of get started on the the crux of like the narrative of the essay right zuko has come to has a big transformative thing where he realizes that the thing the motivations that he's seeking are death dealing right like the way that he has pursued Aang and the gang, as I call them, um, has been to his detriment and not to his benefit, right? And he's fighting a good part of himself. So connecting with the the legacy of benevolence is the first time where legacy shows up, right? Learning that there's another side, there's another way of being that he has been, that he has lived into and has been born into that he's chosen to ignore by being a servant to the Fire Lord. So that's when Legacy first shows up and then it just kind of snowballs from there, right? Um, One of the major ones that I was thinking about was just about when when we have our motivation shifts, when our motivation shifts, what does that do and how does that impact our ability to use the gifts and tools that fuel us towards our purpose, right? Or cement our legacy. Um, and so yeah. as Zuko, can, can we pause there for a second? 
yeah that's a really really cool thing that you just said like i that made me question so like i like I, as a white person i come up with this like i have my own legacy that i'm grappling with and some of mm -hmm. it's not all great right and so mm -hmm. for, for for me i grew up and i used to be defensive i remember a time when i heard the phrase oh like i don't see color and i was like yeah that sounds really kind and nice and then i kind of like grew to learn that that was not okay i remember that but like it's one of those things where there there's that becomes this moment where my mind shifted and i was like mm -hmm. what i am doing is no longer acceptable and it's not what i was doing literally but it was the way that i was being it was my entire like it was a complete paradigm shift that had to occur, right? And for the way you just described that is Zuko is in this is in a paradigm shift, right? He's mm -hmm. realized that he has been going with this drive, with this direction, with this sense of purpose, and that sense of purpose is no longer able to drive him. And so mm -hmm. his entire like his whole like it's it's almost like experiencing like spiritual vertigo mm -hmm. uh and it, i think my question for you is when you experience that moment that spiritual uh emotional vertigo where you realize that the way you have lived your life and the way the way your outlook on life has been and then you shift how what are the tools that we could potentially have to work through that paradigm shift and like yeah. we see Zuko model this for us, but I'm curious what your thoughts are on this. Yeah, I think the first thing is like Zuko did was like acknowledge that a shift has happened, right? I think often yeah. when we do paradigm, when things paradigm, our um, discomfort of change, our discomfort in and this ease and about what does this all mean and the meaning making process, we tend to rush that process instead of just sitting in the fact that something, something is now in flux because I've made this move, right? Um, yeah. And so what the temptation normally is, is to be a bull in the china shop and be like, I'm changing, everybody's gonna change with me, I'm gonna kick down the doors, I'm gonna thrash about, I'm gonna go in full force. And sometimes we gotta get our sea legs, so to speak. We gotta be able to learn how to stand in what this truth now means for us. Um, and yeah. that is something that, that this episode is all about standing in the truth of what actually fire means to the original firebenders right like what does this gift actually mean versus what has mm. it been used for and it's kind of like when you think about religion right like religion is all about thinking about how does a god reflect a people and how do the people reflect back to god that was the original purpose of religion right to make meaning of how the world exists and what does that mean yep. about us and what does this mean outside of us right like what does it mean that there is a sky what does it mean that there are animals what does it mean that there's humanity what does it mean that we fail and we fall what does it mean that i have pain what does it mean that i have death all of that is just meaning making but once we shift it and it becomes a weapon when it becomes a tool for control and mastery and it becomes this thing that is to consume to empower and to conquer when you realize that that's like a mechanism that that's diverted from the original purpose and you actually have to go back to the original purpose of what it all means it takes some time to just sit with 
the grief of knowing that you you're mm. losing a definition. What makes I love that fire you just that as grief? Yeah, what makes fire does not make fire anymore. You have to grieve that the power that I once had, the power, the anger, the destruction that I once possessed is no longer in my grasp because that's not the purpose and that's not the plan. And then mm. once you do that, then it's about going back to the source. What are the original sources? What are the original pathways? What are the original meanings? And if those meanings are life-giving or death-dealing, because as you can note, sometimes the original mechanisms do not serve us as well and we have to create a new. So just uh. like just like Aang had so much turmoil about using fire because the original mechanism of fire that he experienced was nothing but destruction and chaos. He had to make new meaning about fire being beauty, being controlled power, being something that is an extension of warmth and grace and, and strength, right? He had to, he had to make something new out of fire. The mechanism didn't change his meaning making had to. There's just so much Absol that you just absolutely. said. Absolutely, <laughs> um, and I think for me, one of the biggest things is the the fact that both of them were able to recognize that in a, in what is a 23 minute episode, but also just it, I feel like one of the things we've always appreciated about these characters is the quickness in which case and the self awareness that they have to kind of realize like, oh, this is why this was happening. I was angry, and that was fueling me, and now I'm not, or I didn't love fire because I, I hurt Katara with it. And so I've mm -hmm. only seen it as destruction. Um, how do we as, as people, knowing that we all kind of think that we're, in our own narratives we create, we all kind of think I'm the hero in my own story. It's, how do we identify when the legacy we are leaving is one that is of destruction instead of one that is life-giving? How can we work in this moment to kind of build that self-awareness? What are potentially some tangible things we can do right now? Um, that either we see Aang or Zuko do in these moments, or what are the things that we can replicate outside of the show? Study and listen. <laughs> um, one I, thing- I love that. <laughs> one thing that I find, um, especially this, this episode has definitely like been, a, been the episode that I come back to the most simply because it shows what does it look like to actually practice things like cultural humility, right? Like we mm, talk about yes. humility, we talk about being competent or being knowing, right? And even Zuko has this like moment where he's chin checked, where he thinks like, oh, these people are long gone, they're dead, they don't exist, right? And then, and then he sees these people. Dragons are all dead, they're gone. They don't exist. And then he sees dragons, right? And so like, yeah. at, what does it mean to just shut up and experience and not come with the sense of you, of you knowing what's going on or how things are happening or when things are going, you not being the expert, but you being, being bold enough to put yourself in a position to actually be the student and the real student, not the, the, 
the Duke Div bro student, which means like they know everything <laughs> and they knew S they knew what epistemology meant in like the third grade, not that type of student, but actually being brave enough to say, I don't know, but I'm willing to learn. Yes. Yeah. And Zuko um, models this so well, like Zuko is such like, he's so humble when you think about it from that perspective, there's just, mm -hmm. he's so eager to just say, teach me and I'm willing to learn. And this is something that you have to offer and I'm, I'm here for it. Well, and we highlight mm -hmm. those two different students in Zuko's behavior. Episode one mm -hmm. was he's learning his forms and practicing his forms, but he is telling Iroh, I know what to do. I'm good enough to do this. Teach me these things. That's so true. Um, right. Versus now where he is way in a more, more spot of like, the more it just kind of highlights, the more you learn, the more you understand that you don't know. Uh, and so right. he, he really does kind of come up in this situation and say, yeah, I don't know, this could maybe get our fire back and we're going to try it and we don't know what's mm -hmm. going to happen. And I'm going to, and it's going to be messy, right? Like I'm going to pick up the, the golden egg and it's going to be messy and I'm going to screw up and they keep pushing forward. And I think that that's... And then they had to have gotten massive sunburns, right? Like from right. saying, like they were in the sun like all day. And like they, with just their face, like they they had to get sunburn, right? Or do you think their firebending abilities like prevented that? Uh, I don't. I think they had sunburn. I I don't believe that. It's yeah, sunburn. right. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there's no melanin, so I just don't trust it. <laughs> if there. <laughs> <laughs> um, I love. I lo as we talked about, kind of learning from the original source, I, we see that also with Toph, and this is, honestly is also one of my favorite. Really, a beautiful of, moment that it's that it is Toph, right? Can um, I just say that I am a Toph stan account. I love Toph. I will love die that. for Toph. I am <laughs> number one on the Toph fan list. No one can beat me. Oh, I love her. Wow. I just love her so much for multiple reasons. But yeah, we can go back. I just needed to name that this is a Toph no, stan I love account. It. Yeah, yes. we, we actually got called out. We give gratitude at the end of every episode, and we got called out recently on Facebook because someone was like, in the last, like, five episodes, y'all have given Toph gratitude. <laughs> and we were like, well, she earned it. Yeah, <laughs> earned it. every time. Um, but this moment, I, I love the moment of her just telling the story about learning from the Badger Moles and how it's we're learning because there's a mutual respect and a mutual belonging and, a, and a, a respect for the authentic versions that people were and they were and they they were alike and there was just that was a beautiful moment of her just saying like and i learned i learned from them and i love that moment of her just like kicking that first rock um mm -hmm. as as just licking the nose of the badger mole um and i just yeah so when connecting to the original source i think is a moment let, uh but what, is, what does that look like for what does that look like now what does that look like for a listener who wants to find stronger connection spiritually or ancestrally i think the first thing you have to interrogate is which ancestor you're already venerating and elevating in your life right because we all do it we just don't know which ancestors we're lifting up at which time right and we can make a choice yeah. we can choose to elevate people who elevate legacies and peoples and stories and histories that are about resistance and community care and um communal love and like you know queerness and healing and faith and joy and laughter we can choose to elevate those things or we can choose to elevate the things that are death dealing right we can choose to elevate things like 
pulling things up, people up by our bootstraps or, you know, um, the, the snowflake mythology, right? Like we can choose to like ignore histories of subjugation and violence and then and then you know which ancestors you're worshiping, right? Like those are the ancestors that you are lifting up. That's the legacy you're choosing to lead. When you take a dominant narrative and you never ask who's left out, who's not being, who's not at the table, who's not being heard, who's not being listened to, you already are participating in a form of ancestral veneration that is rooted in white supremacy yeah. and violence. It also comes with every dollar you spend is whatever your whatever companies you're supporting, whatever mm -hmm. whatever whoever you're voting for, all of these mm -hmm. things are ways in which you are expressing that legacy, right? Right. And in the yeah. same token, right? Like there are times where like we are asked to call and do a work that puts us in positions that make us uncomfortable or make us reckon with our history that's maybe not as clean and pretty just because you may not be able to venerate you know your great 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 mama and papa because they were complicit in some bull sorry or bull crap sorry uh <laughs> just because i yeah i have a potty mouth so sometimes i gotta reel it back um just because you can't um you can't venerate those people because they were definitely a part of a death feeling system you can venerate the res the means of resistance of the people at that time because in any time or any point in our history there have always been people who have been fighting up and against systems that are death dealing to choose life here here there's the quote that uh, ang talks about the monks teaching them as they're talking about the sun warriors before they've they've met them and it's the sometimes the shadows of the past can be felt by the present and mm -hmm. it honestly sounds like that's not sometimes that's the shadows of the past are felt by the present period. Uh, it's just it whether has, you choose to recognize how you're in, feeling in, it in what shadows are the ones that you're, yeah, that you're allowing to continue to, to cast over the world. Right. So absolutely. Um, and the other thing that was really interesting about the, the way that you were talking about ancestry is this idea of it's, it doesn't feel like it necessarily, it's, it's not necessarily a, a blood thing or a kin thing, but it's more of a, just the general feelings or can you dive more into that a little bit? Yeah. So I, I am of the belief that we have ancestors of blood and ancestors of calling and purpose. Right. So, um, in my, in my like family, right. I have, um, I have preachers and pastors and, Baptist and Pentecostal folks, and I have Lutherans, and I have all these people that are connected by blood, right? And some people didn't, may not have been um, working for my good on this side or the next. I'll put it that way. Um, those don't have to be people that I lift up, and those don't have to be legacies that I have to honor in my own life, right? I can choose not to give credence, not to give power, not to give adoration towards those type of legacies. I can choose other people who are more aligned to my path, my purpose, my meaning, people who are guides, people who I've encountered. I mean, I have teachers that have been a part of like, who I would consider my ancestors who really poured into me the importance of words and thought and thinking for myself. And what does it mean to be a thinking black woman, right? 
that are not a part of my bloodline, but they're very much a part of who I deem as family. Like I called them mom and they called me daughter. Um, and also I have models and mentors that have been part of a family of a legacy of the type of work I've done, work of, of, of a spiritualist, of queer black women who are rooted in dismantling systems of oppression and dreaming mm -hmm. people free. Those are all part of my ancestral pool and wisdom that I draw on. They are great ancestors that I lift up and I think and I imagine and I part myself to. The same goes for people whose ancestries may be, there may be ancestors that we don't know of, but did the work and being able to find those stories, the black sheeps of the yeah. family that actually weren't doing black sheep stuff, right? That were doing really cool, innovative things that really align ourselves to the type of work or the type of um, co-conspirating work of liberation that we're trying to do, right? They're, just because we don't know them by name does not mean that we don't carry their legacy. And so I think some of the things that we can think about or think through is, calling upon those guides, spirits, angels, people that have gone before us that are tied to our highest good and our highest self. Um, mm. Like those mm. people who use, uh, use fire for its beauty and majesty and not destruction. Those who protect guardian spirits and commit themselves to the guardians and to the practices that edify the gifts that have been given to us. Those are our ancestors. Those are our guides. Those are the people that we can call and draw upon from in our meditation, in our work, in our power, in our imagination. Those are the tools that we can drive from. So even if we can't see mama and papa being on a bus, right? doing the freedom fighters, we know other co-conspirators that have been around our families or been around our lives that were doing some subversive work to do the work of justice in the world. And we can call upon those people and lift up those people. Which, and I, what I really love about all of this is how we challenge the narratives that either we knew before and learning the stories of, of, of those individuals. It, it honestly makes me think of Iroh in this moment of yes. the moment where Zuko has to unlearn the fact, which is the Fire Nation history, which is Iroh was a dragon slayer and he did, mm -hmm. and he came back and he killed the dragon and that's what happened and that's the story I know. And then mm -hmm. to learn that no, Iroh was actually creating harmony and peace and didn't kill the dragons and learn the dance of the dragons and how that brings everything together just was is a beautiful moment. Um, right. But that's what that. But it's so important it to highlight. It's so important to highlight in that moment too that when Aang asks about, so like I thought Iroh was a good guy, and then Zuko defends him and says he, he has past. a complicated past, and I think it's because right. he has the empathy of realizing that Zuko himself has a really complicated past, right? Mm -hmm. It's just one of those things where it's, it's not it's not a binary, right? Like yes, you, you are not just like a good person or a bad person, and it doesn't lay in this binary. Yeah, it's or... these moments of failure and these moments of, of of not doing all that you could have done, and messing up and doing things well and doing the right thing over here and making the good decision here and then using the wrong language over here, and that it's this it's this mess. But you keep pushing forward and you keep trying to 
to do what you know is right and acting inside of your value system. But we've got to drop the binary of like, I'm a good person or a bad person. Yeah. It just reminds me of the Brene Brown quote, y'all. It's the, the irony is that we attempt to disown our difficult stories to appear more whole or more acceptable, but our wholeness, even our wholeheartedness actually depends on the integration of all of our experiences. Yeah. Um, and I, I, this this whole thing that you were talking about, Indira, and then also you, Sunshine, kind of drove me to think about uh, Zuko's ancestry. He has Sozin as a grandfather and Avatar Roku, right? Yes. And he grapples with this, like, du- the dualness of his ancestry. And mm-hmm. it almost is a binary in that respect. Like, who will I become? Will I become the Sozin or will I become the Avatar Roku? Or... Well, you just become Zuko and you get to be your own human that makes your own choices, right? And it's just, but like whose ancestry, whose legacy are you claiming? And Mm -hmm. we see Zuko is making that choice in this episode. Yeah. And what's also just really like interesting about just like thinking about stories and where lineage lies in this narrative, right? Is Iroh, right? It's like the more that... Zuko has been separated and charting out on his own to find his own path, the more he's connected to a story and a history with Iroh, right? Like the more he gets to learn about himself, the more he realizes that his path is so deeply and intrinsically tied to Iroh's path, right? And Iroh's journey to deliverance becomes a part of his own. Mm. It's Mm -hmm. like, like we don't, we, we often think that we only go through things or we only go through challenges or because of the time. And this is the, this is the curse of modernity, right? Like because of the technologies, the temptations and the, the troubles of this time, we don't ever think that our elders actually, actually have tools and strategies to help us navigate this present time. Because we think, oh, it was so long ago, or, oh, it doesn't make sense for us now, or it's a different world. The same mechanisms of death and violence are, are, are the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. It's how we adapt and change and how we learn from the tools of our past to be able to build on mechanisms to help us fight in the future, right? And that's what Zuko is learning. Mm. He's learning that, you know, the idea of of connecting to the source, right? Which is something that Iroh had to do for Iroh's self, right? The, the same journey happens, but the tools are different now. We're, we're doing this to fight people who have made a mockery of the legacy that we've just learned about, right? We're doing this to like build up. For Iroh, it was about protecting the dragons. This time, it's about learning how to reclaim what the true heart of the Fire Nation actually is supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. So rich. <laughs> I, I want to so... try to pull tangibles out of everything that we're saying uh, and try to put, you know, uh, put things in, in as much as I can in a box. And so things I'm, I'm hearing about when it comes to leaving the legacy we want to lead, we got we to gotta learn about the legacies. We got we to gotta look for the stories of the past. We got to look for those connection pieces and, and look for those moments where we can learn from. We've got to, to, to navigate and see the, the mechanisms that have been there and, and see if we can create new tools to, to fight against um, the legacies that we don't want to see. But to learn those things require us to just stop and listen without 
waiting for our chance to put in our input or without waiting for our chance to speak over or say something, but we have to just sit and listen or read or take in information and take in the experiences of other people to be able to learn and, mm-hmm. and do that with, without speaking. It, that is my, my best summary as of what we've kind of spoken of so far. Excellent um, summary. <laughs> if I'm hearing things correctly. Um, Excellent. And, and we see all of that. We, we've seen those moments and in, in, we talked about Zuko being able to learn those. We talked about Aang recognizing um, that. And I, I love this moment at as they complete the, uh, the Dance of the Dragons. I love the moment of awe that Tears. comes over both of them. Tears. Mm-hmm. In recognizing I, my viewpoint's been wrong. I, they shifting their own mindset, but just recognizing the beauty and harmony of what is authentically there, not expecting, you know, fire, fire is, and it's going to be, and knowing that that's what, it, you know, it's bringing the harmony there is, is a beautiful moment um, without expectations of the fire changing to meet their wants and needs. The fire is, and recognizing the beauty that is in there, I think was a really beautiful moment. Yeah. And the beauty of what I think is really powerful about this experience, right, is that Zuko is among technically his people. These are his people. Um, the the protect the guardians of the fire spirits are his people. They are a part of this nation that is forgotten, right? They they are the original people. Um, but Aang is not a part of this community. Aang is a visitor. Aang has literally come to learn a portion, but by no means does this mean that he co-ops this experience and has become a part of this of these people. And the humility that comes when someone shares such a, a beautiful, because Zuko sh- could have went on this journey on his own and came back and yeah. taught Aang what Aang needed to know. But the beauty of making them voluntarily being an outsider and being a visitor and a guest and practicing the humility and grace of that and accepting whatever hospitality came with that is a power in itself. And I think that's another thing that like, as you're going through a journey of trying to unlearn or revisit new, new ancestors or new guides, just because you find certain people or find certain paths or find certain doctrine does not make you a part of the community and makes you a guest. And knowing your place is really, really important in that. Wow, that's really powerful. I'm, I, I have questions. Okay, Yes. so <laughs> uh, I, I Aang, I, I wanted to, so Aang is the avatar. Let's let's mm-hmm. let's lift this up. So uh, I I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet. But like, what a legacy that he's carrying in almost like literal ancestral wisdom in that he's mm-hmm. able to <laughs> like connect with his past lives, right? And so his uniqueness in the world, right, uh, is a, a really interesting part of that. But I I, I love how you. You, he's a visitor, right? He's he's mm-hmm. an air nomad. He that his culture is that of the air nation, right? Mm-hmm. And so, him coming in to learn about the fire nation, like I, I'm I'm curious, like th- there is as you were very clear to say that this is not like 
this is not a appropriation, right? This is mm -hmm. like him learning. This is humbling himself. Can you um, help me understand, help us understand the, the concept? Like when does it become, when does it cross, when does Aang cross the line? And I don't think he does in this episode, but like mm -hmm. what would it take for him to cross the line? Where, when is it too much? Okay, so a good example of this is actually derived from a actual current news story that happened, right? So I'm gonna use this news story and then relate it back to Aang. So journey with me here. Great. So there is a Caucasian woman from Kansas who has a fascination yep. and deep appreciation for African-American studies, history and literature, right? So they dedicate their academic life learning, learning, studying, understanding this culture. That is appreciation, right? Knowing that there's a richness and a story and a history. Where this white woman from Kansas went wrong is that she changed her identity to an Afro-Latinx woman and and performed Afro-Latinx culture in the academy, in the community, and went and got fellowships underneath that assumption, got job positions and accolades, you know, entered into Black space or Afro a Latinx space under the assumption that she was a part of this community and held space and policed other people for their performance of their identities. So told black people they weren't black enough, told Latinx folks they weren't Latin, Latinx enough. That's when you go too far, right? So if Aang stepped out of side of his role of the avatar to tell Zuko what it meant to be a Fire Nation's person and said that I'm more Fire Nation than you now because I've got Fire Nation ancestors living inside of me, even though that's not his perspective, that's not his cultural touchstone, and he can only access those that, that type of wisdom from a special space, which he struggled uh -huh. to do, by the way. This sure, whole time of him absolutely. learning fire, he never really went to the avatar realm to talk to the fire other av fire avatar people and say, how did you how did you understand fire? How am I supposed to view mm -hmm. fire? He never went and did that. So if he would have done those things, then he would have went too far. But he never did because Aang is our, you know, semi unproblematic fave. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, almost, I almost put it off. It's like you don't see Kiyoshi doesn't go get airbender tattoos, right? right. Like that's that she, she's not a part of the air nomads, even with the connection, even with the peace, she's not going and getting airbender tattoos. Roku is not going and getting airbender tattoos, um, even though they're masters, they're airbending masters likely, but mm -hmm. you're not seeing that because that's a, that's a cultural importance to the air nomads. Um, yes. So it's, I love how I think you do. I think Aang is probably for looking for an example of how do we learn and appreciate and recognize and experience and under and, and seek to understand. He shows up and, and and pretty much just stays quiet and messes up and his mm -hmm. like his eternal flame goes out and he's worried and concerned because <laughs> he 
all of this stuff goes on. But there, I think he he is humble. It seems like throughout the entire thing, knowing that like Absolutely. he might not be deemed worthy to learn firebending. Mm-hmm. Um, he put himself at is, risk to be to be to be rejected, and he was fully okay with that possibility. I don't think. Aang at no point was like, come on, man, let me meet the fire spirits. You already know what time it is. I'm the avatar. He knew that his status as the avatar meant nothing to these people. Because the avatar means nothing to their culture. And so that power that he was looking, and because he tried it a little bit, and he was like, well, I just want to let you know I'm the avatar. And they were just like, and? The avatar. They even call him out. They they let him know that his inaction led to their demise. That it right. had consequences. His like his you're going not so great. Had mo- exactly, and I think that that's such an important thing to call out. Is like this: your legacy is not only what you do; it is also what you do not do. Um, yes. And I think that that's a, an important that's an important thing to highlight that 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 your action or or inaction is going to have an effect in one way or another. And mm-hmm. we need to be conscious of that. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, not everybody will view you the deem you the hero in their story, and you have to be okay with that. You may very well Absolutely. be the villain, and you're entitled, and you're entitled to know that and and sit in that. But they're they're yeah. not entitled. They they don't have to revise the narrative for you. It's up to you to reckon that narrative for yourself. And I think that's what mm. he was learning during just shutting up, shutting up and sitting back. I love it. I love it a lot. I do think one of the things that his avatarness did, uh, I believe, help with in this episode was his intuition was very strong in this episode. So oh, yeah. we see it in both the when they first encounter the statues of the dancing dragon, and then we see it again when they encounter Ren and Shaw where Aang has this this intuitive feeling where like, hey, Zuko, I think we need to dance. And he says it both times. Like, he, like we don't, there's not a clear indication, but I, I wonder if it is his avatar ancestral wisdom, if you will, or his legacy in this moment that kind of er, brings that intuition to, to the forefront for him. I actually think it's his childlike wonder. Ooh. Okay, tell me more. I think that the beauty, the beautiful part about Aang, right, is that Aang is still a child in the midst of yeah. the fact that he's 100 years old, the fact that, you know, he was a part of this great order of monks that have been eradicated and has suffered this great trauma. Aang is still a child, and you can mm. see kind of like this childlike wonder and willingness to embrace what um, Judith Jack Candle. Um, Hambleson calls the queer art of failure, right? Which is all about inviting a sense of play and exploration that we find in childhood that we lose as we try to like emerge in our adult way of ways of being and understanding. And I think Aang, because he is suspended in some arrested development, he never lost his wonder. So he's seeing these statues. And it looks fascinating. So I don't necessarily think it was like this deep nudging, like, go for the statues. I really do think it was like (laughs) this like childlike wonder of like, there's all these statues, they're dancing around. I wonder what this dance looks like. Why don't you, because even the way that he invites, it's like, 
come on, dance with me. Like, come on, let's try yeah, it because yeah. nothing else is working. You know, there's no, there's some levity to it. Like, let's invite some type of play. Let's Im- invite some type of wonder. So I think, you know, that's what leads him to learn the dance. But I think it's also kind of like, I don't have anything else to do. So what's the word? Yeah. If I'm going to go out anyway, I might as well go out dancing. Yeah. You know, I, I, I really prefer that reading of it, frankly, because I, I think it's, it relates more to you and me, right? I don't, I'm mm-hmm. not the avatar. I don't have this, like, <laughs> I can't talk to my, my previous life. Uh, and I, I think that that's way more human. That's a way more mm-hmm. human reading of Aang. And I, I think that's really just really a more beautiful reading in my humble yeah. opinion. No big deal or anything. Thank you. Well, and I, I that dance is, is such a moment of connection for the two of them. I think mm-hmm. dance is a moment for belonging, here, right? Here. Mm-hmm. Just dancing in general is a moment for people to, to, jo- to join in and it can be welcoming and um, you don't have to be good at it. I love like intergenerational wedding dances, like just people yeah. of, of all ages all doing, you know, the Cupid shuffle. Um, yeah. <laughs> but you get this moment at the very end of the episode where Zuko and Aang are showing this dance to their friend group, and it's something that you can tell Zuko's got pride in, and Aang's at, has pride in, and so it kind of hurt. It kind of hurt to watch the gang kind of poke fun at it at the very end after seeing it as this monumental connection piece for them and something that was so beautiful. I didn't, yeah. I didn't love that ending. I don't like, and I, we all make mistakes and I think that's just what it's, we do. And that, I, that was just kind of a bummer of an ending for me. You just kind of go like, Oh, we can do you know better. What I, we can do better. <laughs> you know what I, 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 I was left with is not all tools are meant for the masses. There are certain wisdoms and tools that are just for us in our present age and time, right? Some people don't need to know the process to to the gifts that we have. They just need the gifts. And sometimes there's a there's a beauty in being able to hold certain things to the chest so it's not co-opted, mocked, made fun of. It's it's about being protective. Right, so I think a lot about um, certain black conjure traditions, right? And so there's this long standing debate about hoodoo culture. And so um, let me just say that hoodoo is a closed system that is meant for black and indigenous folks. White folks should not be doing hoodoo. Um, And so, you know, white folks have found hoodoo practices, hoodoo traditions and have co-opted certain forms of magic, but the purpose of hoodoo in its exception was about protection and power for people to fight systematic oppression for black and indigenous folks, right? Like that was the purpose of hoodoo is using the earth, using the elements, using nature in order to protect black people in the midst of systematic violence. And so what happens is when we show these tools and strategies to people who don't, who are not connected or don't care about the history is that it gets perverted. And then there's a whole bunch of misinformation that comes. So I kind of yeah. was grateful that the people who did not experience the journey did not understand the power that they, they just witnessed because then it's protected. 
then it's covered and then it can't be co-opted or misused outside of that narrative and that journey. No, that's a whole different way of viewing it that makes, which is very appreciative. I think because even the Sun Warrior says like, don't tell anybody, right? Like, yeah, don't do it. I'm not going to come find you, but you know, don't do it. And Specifically I think, about and they I, exist. I think you're right. There's, there are things that, you know, I don't, if I'm meditating in the morning, that's a, that's a me thing. And that's probably not the best uh, thing to, to equate all of this to. Um, mm-hmm. But there are special things that I think each individual person can understand. Like, no, this is for me. And it doesn't mean that I don't love people. And it doesn't mean that I don't, you know, want to be able to share experiences. But this is a me thing. And this is something I need for just me. And that mm-hmm. needs to be okay with other people. Yeah. I mean, and, and it's, it can be as small as a practice. It could be big as your story, right? One of the things that I've learned as a trauma practitioner and dealing with folks who, um, so my, my primary job is working in community mental health with folks with severe to persistent mental health disorders. That's like my job that pays my bills. And one of the things that I work with my clients is, is the right for their own story because what happens is when folks are traumatized or when folks are seeking help or assistance from mental health challenges or financial struggles or things that have put them in a part of crisis, their story doesn't belong to them. And so they don't feel like they have to be protective of their journeys or their stories or what they go through because they feel like they have to give you everything in order to get something from you in a system. There's a power of being able to control your story and to choose who gets access to it and who does not. And having that discretion is something that is like a, it's a part of legacy, right? You're not entitled to see the bumps and bruises to my journey. All you're entitled to do is help me bear fruit to what I'm supposed to be and who I'm supposed to become. If it means telling that. part of my story, absolutely. But if it means that I get to keep some stuff to the chest, I get to keep that. Because my my suffering, my journey, my pain is not fodder for your sick fascination and your and your savior complex. Here, here. Yeah, this really, really resonates with me and reminds me, I've already referenced Brene once, but Brene talks about how... Uh, when we are building friendships with people, it's uh, like in, she goes into vulnerability and how when you are being vulnerable is not sharing everything. That is mm-hmm. a misconception. That becomes floodlighting, right? Um, it becomes something, a perverted version of what vulnerability is meant to be, right? And so vulnerability rather is being able to set that boundary of this is something that I need to share but i cannot share with everyone so who are the people that i can share this and maintain safety with when i Mm -hmm. share this with them right and so she kind of describes it as having like a one inch by one inch piece of paper with the the names of the people we trust on it right and so the whole idea of it being so small is that we don't have this massive list of people that we can share with it's instead it's more about who are the people that are you feel safe with that you have built boundaries with that will that you have set up trust with right and i think that really kind of speaks that it resonated with me to talking about what you were saying about like this is not meant to be shared with everybody protect it right because if you don't then it might become perverted 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think. Go ahead. <laughs> no, one of the running themes that I, based off of what we've talked about in the episode, and, and whether it's with Toph or whether it's with going to the dragons, it's it's what was the intent or what is the purpose of the original source? What is the purpose of, of why mm. it originated and what is it doing? And is that something we want to honor, or is that something that needs that we need to not continue that legacy? And then we also, as as people, have to decide what our role is in that, and is it do we is this is this a legacy that we need to be at the forefront of, or is this a legacy where we need to be in the very back, listening and supporting and understanding, but not you know, trying to create decisions or do or you know whatever that might be. Um, and I, it, it, am I am I hearing that correctly? Because that seems like a running yeah. theme through everything. And, and is that the line between I want to do good? I want to be an advocate. I want to be an ally. And this is saviorism. Um, I, I think and, that's a good line. Is that, is that the line? Yeah. yeah, I think that's the line. And I think because if we put ourselves in a position where we, we bypass our own of exercising our own demons, so to speak, right? Because again, because we are carrying these legacies, because we have been um, complicit in systems and we have been you know, conjuring ghosts of violence for so long without knowing it, right? Deliverance doesn't happen overnight. And so to, to be able to take a step back and to learn and to appreciate, it, it forces you to rework your logics so you just don't run in blindly trying to bring the master's tools, right? Like it's, it's like Audrey Lorde says, the master's, the master's tools will never dismantle the house. Yes. So like if, you, yes. if you're coming in and the only tools you have, you know something is not right, but the only tools you have are tools that are not right, then you can't be a savior. Yes. Mm. You've got to you've got to dismantle your weapons everything. first. Yeah, I, that, it's, I think it's very helpful to be able to kind of say this. This is these are steps because um, I, I there are people out there that want to do good and want to support and don't understand that line and don't understand what that is. And so I think it's helpful for me to hear that that that's the that's that's a good way of tackling. And is thinking about how we're going through and doing that. Yeah. Um, so that's super helpful. And I, I think it's, I, Toph has a section as she's talking about the earthbending where she's like, it wasn't just a tool for fighting. Like mm-hmm. that's just what it's currently. It was become. a way of interacting it's, with the it world. It was just a way of interacting with the world. It was yeah. a way of living. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, for her to have the awareness of the, the original purpose of, of earthbending that way, I think is. Talk about being Stan account for Toph, man. Yeah. She's I, awesome. Uh, well, I wasn't going to give my gratitude to her, but who knows? Uh, who it knows? could happen again. <laughs> um, but no, uh, any other moments that we want to highlight before we kind of take our break and go into our next section of, of big legacy moments that, that happened in this episode? Ooh, I think we covered them. All right. Well, we'll take a quick break, and then we'll jump back with our devotion through the element of fire and with our gratitudes for the day. We'll be right back. All 
All right, welcome back. We are going to take a quick second to just talk about some really important, you know, announcements, news updates, things for you to be a, a, be aware of, right? First and foremost, thank you for listening to the podcast. We cannot be here without your listening, right? Wouldn't it, like this would just be us talking to the the void without you being here. So, thank you for listening. Second thing is you have the really cool option to support us on Patreon. And what that does is it gets you this really cool thing where you get to at any level, you can support us. And then you get to join a Facebook group where we have conversations about the episodes, both the Avatar episodes as well as the podcast episodes. Uh, you get extra episodes if you support us on the next tier. You get mini episodes about the comics is what we're starting to do. And also Max's Choice episodes. Max gets to pick something. He doesn't watch Avatar, which is really weird but he picks his favorite shows and we treat it the same way we treat the show and so those have been really fun and you can hear those on patreon and then of course you can get live shows with sunshine and myself uh and so you can get live shows if you contribute on patreon as well at a certain level and we would just love to have you and remember you can always find us bnb underscore pod on instagram twitter you can send us a voicemail we would love to have your voicemails uh, via thearchivy at gmail.com. Uh, and I just, again, am grateful for your support. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your energy. And we hope that we can continue to provide excellent entertainment. Remember, we're trying to get to 50 patrons before we get to Quora so that we can continue to make valuable podcast content. But for now, let's get back to the show. We are coming back from our break, and we are talking about legacy through the element of fire for our devotion. And so, Ben, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it off to you first, but I'm going to say, uh, what is your plan for the week? What do you want to do this week? Yeah, so I have been guilty in the past of picking really lofty things and not setting, like, really specific goals that I can accomplish in a week. Instead, it's just like, oh, I want to do this, and it's not been, quote, smart goals, right? specific, measurable, actionable, relevant, timely. Um, so for me this week, I'm going to try and boil it down to something that's that's simple, that I can check off a list. And when I think of fire, I think of that warmth. And when I think of Zuko and Aang and how Zuko kind of lost that inner fire and then he refound it, I want to think about what brings me that inner fire. What is that inner warmth that makes me feel like I am doing something that I'm living up to, what are the legacies that I'm living into that I'm choosing to live into and so I want to uh, I'm going to take a, a 15 minute meditation for myself to think about and contemplate that and then I'm going to based off that I'm going to make decisions about how I want to live into that better and so that's going to be my thing this week. And uh, Indira, I, we're going to pass it to you. What do you, what do you want to do with this concept of legacy and fire? What's an intention you want to set? Yes. So I, uh, like I said, I practice ancestral veneration. And so one of the intentions that I want to do is that I've been slacking with my time at my altar lately. Um, so I want to kind of recommune with my ancestors a little bit, which means that I will be lighting candles and kind of sitting and journaling about the legacies of love that I have been, I've been birthed into being. 
um, think about the lineages of people who um, in, invited my fire for learning, for healing, and think about those people who I'm living into. Because I think as I'm starting school back over again, that's one thing that I'm totally not connecting to right now is the fact that I, I come from a family of educators and teachers and healers and all of that work is inside of me and coursing through my veins that I want to reconnect to. So talking a little bit to my grandfather, who was an educator who passed away a couple of two years ago um, and spending some time with him because he was a really great teacher. And I want to kind of connect to that history. That's so beautiful. I love that. I love that. Oh, all right. I've been thinking because it's been taking me time to figure it out, to, to piece it together. Um, I want to go back to those moments that we talked about earlier in the show about listening and what that truly means and what that looks like. I think about the times where I feel I feel like I've been heard and someone's kind of been able to, to connect with me and how warming that, that experience really is. And I think for me, I'm bad at it. I am pretty constantly thinking of what am I going to say in response? Or, and, and so I think that I have to be intentional about recapping and, and, su and summarizing and, and making sure that I'm hearing people and, and connecting um, with the message that they intended and, and asking for clarity. And so I think for me, that's my goal this week is to, is to really listen and to make sure that I'm, I'm saying things like, I feel like I heard this or, I want to make sure I got this right and, and do that with, uh, with every moment that I, that I can to really to understand more um, and hopefully create a warming experience for someone else. So that's, that's my goal this week. Wow. Yeah. Y'all, we're pretty cool. I, I love those. <laughs> those, are all, those are all great goals, and I'm, just, I'm grateful to be in community with both of you. And they, just, they take intention, and it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's progress, not perfection, right? Yeah. I'm sure there's going to be times where I don't do that as well as I want to this week. There's going to be times mm -hmm. where I miss an opportunity, but I'm, the, the continual path of, of how, do I, how do I create this legacy around being you know, a, a, a strong listener, and, and how do I practice that more than not um and so just always give a little grace too i think that's always that always helps with these practices is to give if, if you as a listener are choosing a practice each week to to give yourself a little grace through that process as well mm -hmm. all right some gratitude gratitude uh, this is my favorite section i shouldn't have one but this is my favorite i'm gonna mine's quick and easy and it's 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 kind of for a silly reason but it's kind of not um i'm i'm giving my gratitude to ran and shaw because they just get to come out of their caves and then tell people that they're worthy and that they're enough. And I think that that's really nice. <laughs> I think that that's, that's important to be able to do that. Uh, to be fair, we don't see the only times that we know of them doing this are with Iroh and with Zuko and Aang. And so every time they've always told people that they're enough. And I think that that's the more we can tell people that they're enough, uh, the better off we'll be. And so we need to do more of that. Um, and so that's, I'm, that's why I'm giving gratitude to Ran and Shaw. I love that. They're great. Uh, Indira, who are you grateful for in this episode? Unnamed Sun Warrior number two, who is talking cash money um, about <laughs> Zuko and Aang getting eaten by the dragon. It is something We're all it. <laughs> that brings me all types of petty joy. Um, 
<laughs> As SAS is a part of my uh, lineage of love and legacy, um, to see, I think there's something magical about someone like when someone enters into a, a space that's not theirs, right? There's always a skeptic who's like, look what this guy's finna do. Um, and even though his face is completely cracked because the dragons accept this, this you know, form of worship and veneration, I just love like, oh man, they're gonna eat good tonight. And just having like someone say, shut up, like we're supposed to be serious. <laughs> but the comedic relief of it all, cause it is so heady, right? I just, I don't know. I just appreciate someone who is petty to the bone. I just really do. So shout out to you, Sun Warrior too. You were the great one. Uh, I love that. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> well, it's, I love how you mentioned it's like comedic relief in this moment because like, this is like a really big moment we see because like we just saw this mass pilgrimage. This is the music from the intro outro. So it's like, oh my goodness, this is like the music. This, so it's like the whole seriousness of it all is big and then there's this guy so well i think it I also it. it also highlights that like even in heavy moments even when things are serious we have to take breaks and and laugh and and be joyous and joke with friends and that that is still a a part of life that needs to happen to to be able to refill our cups for the heavy things that happen mm. Mm. and you can side eye people who come into your space who really don't get it like you right. can, you can, you can, That's so you know, funny. skepticism yeah. is, is allowed when someone from the outside is coming in, trying to do something until they prove themselves worthy, you can count them out. <laughs> like it's okay. I it. And I like, I like the permission for people to not be so gratiated or be so open. The fact that, you know, skepticism is okay because people have to prove themselves worthy. That's a part of boundaries. That's such an important point and i'm i'm really glad you said that that's i love that yeah okay all right so i am grateful so there, there's not a lot of women in this episode y'all uh mm -hmm. like we see toff who is obviously awesome but that feels like the obvious choice and she's just right? starting to get gratitude like just she she starts with a baseline gratitude that we just give her throughout all of these episodes at this point yeah like uh, toff we're grateful she, for you as okay. my queen deserves yeah. As my queen deserves. Yeah, uh, yeah. Right. <laughs> right? So, uh, all right. So now that we can't choose Toph because we, <laughs> we're so grateful already, like Katara doesn't have a big role. And so who am I going to pick? So I, I thought about it and I was thinking about the women and I realized that we, we see virtually no women throughout the entire episode, except the problem is we do. They just don't have speaking roles. And so there are a lot of unnamed you, you mentioned unnamed sun warrior number two and i'm i'm like unnamed sun warrior all of the women right mm -hmm. <laughs> um and so we see that there are at first i was like there aren't any women and then i i, I went and reround the episode and i noticed that there there were and so based off, at least based off of their the way that they were dressing which may or may mm -hmm. not mean that they are women they might be who knows like i don't know what their gender but uh there i assume that there are women in this this nation area in this group of people this tribe and i am grateful for them because without them the legacy of the true nature of firebending w wouldn't have happened right it wouldn't have lasted for these thousands of years like zuko and ang and everyone before them may never have found the fire inside may never have been able to learn from the original benders without these women and so i'm really grateful for them and i'm sad they didn't have any speaking roles yeah Without women, there would Absolutely. be no tribe. 
Yeah, exactly. A hundred percent. hundred percent. Well, y'all, that this is the episode. That was it. We just talked about the Firebending Masters. Um, Indira, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, wealth of wisdom. Um, thank you for your perspective and taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us tonight to be able to, to record and, and uh, join us in this conversation. Loved having you here, and you are more than welcome back whenever you want. Um, Absolutely. We'll, Please we'll invite me Cora. back. We'll talk everything. Absolutely. You already know, Cora, I'm waiting. <laughs> My lesbian queen. I am ready. I'm ready to talk about how she is not a Mary Sue. Yeah. <laughs> now, are you like, kidding? I am just completely the amount of hate that she gets from people on the interwebs. It just boggles my mind. Yeah. I that agree. people are like, she's struggling with things. I hate her. And I'm like, I don't get that mentality. Um, I and so I can't never talk have. about all of those things. <laughs> yeah. So, but thank you again so much. So if we want, if we, if, if people want to, to find you, if you want them to find you, like, are, oh, yeah. are there things that you are willing to share? Like, are there, like, are there Absolutely. handles or things that you want people to be able to find you on? Okay. Yes. So, um, you can find me on Facebook, Indira Eudophia. Um, you can find me on Instagram, NDU2010. I take a lot of office selfies because I'm always working. Um, and if you're interested in the work that I'm doing, um, my landing page is www.imudofiaimudofia.com. That has all of my therapeutic work, all of my spiritual trauma work, as well as some um, things about my writing and what I'm doing that you can connect and get to know me more. I love all of those things. Thank you for sharing them. We will definitely uh, include those on anything that we post, but thank you so much. Listeners, thank you so much. Sunshine, thank you so much. Stop, Ben. You know, listeners, again, you're the best. I appreciate you. And Max. Max. And Max. Oh, Max, you've been doing, doing so much. All of this stuff you've in been... the background, which we, <laughs> this wouldn't be possible without Max. And so all the thanks and gratitude to Max as well. This has been a great episode. I'm Sunshine Mayfield. I'm Ben Pruitt. This has been Bending Not Breaking. Thank you for listening.